Welcome back to Laravel Podcast Season 4. Today we're talking to John Bonacorsi, lead programmer at Titan, about database migrations, factories, and seeding. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4, where every single episode is about a specific topic. And today we are talking about migrations, factories, and seeders with my friend, the factory king, John Bonacorsi. John, other than being the factory king and my friend, could you introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my name is John Bonacorsi. Uh, I live in New Jersey with my wife and my golden retriever. And I am a lead programmer at Titan, which just means that the host of this podcast interviewing me right now is also my boss. <laughs> and I have been informed that if this episode does not perform well, I will be mm-hmm. fired. So there, please there's going to be consequences. Please don't tune out because my job depends on it. What's the in Peter, Peter Pan? Didn't they do that where like people had to do something for the fairy to live? Did that, they have to clap or snap or something i think you're more of an expert on that than me but i oh my goodness do you call me a peer pant now i have to look up <laughs> having kids I, I, it's been a while since i <laughs> that's true my kids did watch it i watched it with my kids hold on peter pell tinker band tinker peter pan tinkerbell uh how did they how do you even google this um bring back to life maybe I'm not really curious. And they like tell all, told all like the kids like who are watching, you need to do blah, oh, blah, blah, blah. Don't they need to like clap or something like that? That's what I was saying. It's like yeah, something, I clap. Think, don't yeah. like tink die, clap. Yep. All right. So yeah. So anyway, if you want John to keep his job and you're listening to this right now, whenever he says something like really smart, just kind of clap like in your car, in your crowded office. I guess it's COVID, right? So it's not a crowded office, but like, you know, at the bus stop or whatever, like clap, you know, and that'll, that'll help him, you know, keep his job. And so. Matt will hear it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll hear it. I'll hear it wherever I am. Even if I'm sleeping, I will wake up and I will hear the clap. Um, my microphone is not staying up. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, John, if you... So, we're talking about three individual topics, which is totally unfair because I'm going to ask all these questions to you three times. Um, sure. But for everyone who doesn't know, migrations, factories, and seeders are database related. I didn't want to do them as the same as the database because I really think they deserve their own treatment. And there are some kind of ways that they are often used in spaces that are kind of the same. But it's really three different topics. So I'm going to have to ask you the five-year-old question for all three of them. So let's start with migrations. If you had to explain database migrations to a five-year-old, how would you do it? Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm glad that I'm getting this question three times because it was my most dreaded question. Oh, so, like yeah, great. The, the cynical answer to me was like, I would never try to, to, yeah, that's to explain true. this. Touché. And, and I feel like the majority of people, they, they start answering it like it's a 22-year-old. So I'm going to do my best here to really okay. answer yeah. this like I would answer for a five-year-old. And, you know, bear with do me. It, it might be Do nonsense. it for the claps. Do it for the claps, John. There we go. All right. So, so migrations, <laughs> if I had to say migrations for a five-year-old, I would say that similar to how you have um, a booklet or a guide that teaches you how to build things in Legos and stuff like that. Okay. Migrations mm-hmm. are just like that, where the Legos are kind of synonymous with the pieces of your database, and migrations are kind of the instruction booklet about how to build it. I think that's, that's really good. the most straightforward response I could give there. I think that was very good. I think it deserves some claps. I only have one criticism, okay. which is the word synonymous. Uh, so <laughs> let's ju- you said synonymous <laughs> oh, because no. it's the, because it's one hundred percent the way you normally talk. I know you. So if we were to take that and replace the word synonymous, well, the good thing is the audience of this podcast actually does know what that means, so we're good. So yeah. you did pretty good. There we so go. goal for um, number two is just don't use the word synonymous, and you're good to go. Uh, All right. So the next <laughs> the next one is uh, how do you explain uh, database factories uh, to a five year old? All right, so this was this is the tough one, and this is the one that I honestly thought about the most. So yeah. you're really going to have to bear with me here. 
but right. I'm going to give it my best shot. So you know how when you're like a little kid and you're watching a TV commercial and uh, there's like a, you know, it's, like, it's sort of like a robot toy and the mm -hmm. robot in the commercial, you know, got a little kid and he's like playing with the robot, but he has like this full landscape and he's like using the robot to punch down buildings and, you know, the buildings mm -hmm. are made of blocks and they fall apart and it looks so cool. You know, you're like, I need this robot. Yeah. So you, you order the robot and it comes to your house, but playing with it isn't quite the same as in the commercial. It's, the and commercial. it's, it's not as exciting because you don't have, you know, you don't have these, uh, you know, these buildings to destroy. It's just, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not the same thing. So, yeah. you know, you end up taking uh, a bunch of like Coke bottles or, or you know, or Pepsi and you, you stack them up and then you have the robot punch them. And uh, yeah. that's about as best as you can do. I would say that those Coke bottles are the most similar thing I can think of to factories in Laravel, which is that you have this world and you're building something up and it's kind of crude, but it's basically just there so that your robot can knock it down. And if we're going to okay. complete really this metaphor, I'd say that like, you know, you're the little kid, the robot is your app and uh, the building is the, the factories. Okay. I like it. So our apps are destroying uh, our data. Punching it down like a robot. I should have, you know what? I like, I like they caught me there because I think the robot is really your test. So I'd say that. There you go. Okay, that's good. That's what um, I meant to say. Yeah. I like it. I like it. That's good. No, that was actually, that was really fantastic. There was a word you used in this one I was going to tease you about, but I got so distracted by imagining our apps just destroying our databases and it made me really happy. So I'm just like, trying to that distract you from my grammar. There, no, the, the thing is it's, it's good grammar. Oh, is it? Uh, it was, it's fantastic grammar. That's the thing. It's like when you, you, when you speak to a five-year-old, so here's a total side note to everybody for this section. First of all, when you speak to a five-year-old, you do need to dumb it down a little bit because they don't know the same words and they don't kind of process things the same ways. But the person who, I, so there's a few people in my life who treat children and pets as if they're more capable of like advanced speech than we tend to think of them as. Mm -hmm. And the, the pets and children around these people are always like the brightest. And I think that there is, while you do have to dumb down your talk to a five-year-old a little bit, like in terms of the grammar and the, the vocabulary, I think it's a lot less than we tend to assume. Yeah. So you're, you're on, you're on the train for eventually having kids and then being like super brilliant because you're like synonymous six month old. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> That's All a right. Point. The third one, how do you explain cedars to a five-year-old? This is the, yeah, this is, this is a tougher one. I'd say that, you know, if we're going to stick on the previous metaphor a little bit and if you yeah. have, you know, this world, uh, if you're, you know, if you're building up that landscape in your house to look like the commercial and you have, you know, your buildings and stuff like that, if you ever had like, you know, if you started to do that over and over again and you had your fake police station, which is made out of Coke bottles and you had your hospital, which is made out of, you know, whatever other kind of bottle or, a, you know, whatever, um, yeah. whatever kind of plan you have in your mind or, or on paper of where all those things go in your little landscape, that uh -huh. is your cedar that is kind of okay you know the how things are built up in multiple different ways and, and kind of what you're you know grouping those things together and stuff like that that's a little rough i'm gonna be honest with you i don't know if that fully tracks i don't know if any of this fully tracks but oh, it uh, makes sense that's, that's the best i can do i like it um it was metaphor that was the word i was going to tease you about um <laughs> what's a metaphor uncle john okay so i like it um the one thing so i want to i i want to so i'm trying to imagine this metaphor so the we're creating this like little pretend world and yes. the buildings we're building represent our data, right? Yes. Okay. So a factory makes it really easy to make like a certain type of data, right? So it's sort of like a factory is like a pre-planned idea of how to make like a hospital or something like that. Or are you saying a factory uh, is like uh, a sorry. bottle? Is that what you're... 
Yeah, I'd say like a factory is like, uh, you know, I think that grouping of bottles, like your fake little hospital. Uh-huh. But yeah. And I'd then a cedar is like a whole like plan of a whole thing, right? Exactly. Like a bigger. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I love exactly. it. That, I've never, regardless of five-year-olds or buildings, I've never thought about the fact that in many ways cedars are just bigger factories. And I love that idea. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but yeah. it's a really cool way of uh, coming at it with your brain. So. Yeah, I yeah, think people talk more about cedars, smart. but yeah. I think that that is, I think I always think of them as groupings of factories. So That's awesome. Same yeah, thing. totally yeah. makes sense. I just never had thought of them as just like a bigger section of the same thing. Okay, cool. Yeah. So now let's talk. Um, you know, I don't want to walk right into common use cases because you you did such a job, good job of keeping it to a five-year-old that I do want somebody. Now let's talk about somebody has been writing PHP for 20 years, but just doesn't understand how these topics are going to be used. Can you tell me a little bit about how you would use migrations, factories, and cedars each in the same places or different places? Like what are, what are each of them used for in your day-to-day Laravel app? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think that... Um, Migrations, you know, if you think about it, if you're new to Laravel and you're probably not new in general to web apps or, or databases and stuff like that. So, you know, anytime that you are building an app and it has a database, you know, it you're going to have those databases are going to have tables and columns and all kinds of stuff like that. And basically what migrations allow you to do is um, basically create a schematic for mm-hmm. those tables and those columns mm-hmm. so that no matter where you are, no matter if you're on a different computer, if you're on a different server, if you're on production, if you're on staging, if you're you know, wherever you are, that you can always build up the exact same database with the exact same structure um, based off of those migrations. So you're not having yeah. to remember or write down, oh, add this column here and make it null or give it a default value of this or that. It's all right there in code for you. And it kind of keeps track of that. So that's that's typically when I'm using migrations. Uh, I think one of the interesting things about migrations is that it's it kind of has a secondary use, which is managing content that is the same across all databases uh-huh. or, or all yeah. or all yeah basically all instances of your database, and that is probably one of the things I remember being most tripped up as as like a new Laravel programmer is like I remember hearing about migrations and then hearing about cedars and being like you know when I, when it came to like adding uh, data into the production database that needed to be there in every environment. Like in, for instance, that might be like a list of states or a list of countries, or if you're writing a blog, a list of blog topics that needs to be there in every environment that are always the same, all that kind of stuff. Um, I remember Googling like six years ago, like how do I do a production cedar? Like what, you know, like, cause that was the only way to think about adding content to me was like, what is a production cedar? And you know, the, the answer was, and I think really this didn't get solidified to me really until I came to Titan, which is like, no, your migrations are not only for managing your database structure, but for any kind of content that is, you know, intrinsically connected to the database. So that might be things that are, you know, lists of states that are in every environment or countries or whatever that may be. And I think that's a little bit, um, I don't know, I think it's not really natural for a lot of people to think about it like that. A lot of people get tied in to think about, no, migrations are just for, you know, schema. Yeah, and, and schema, I, yeah. Yeah, and do I write a command, add this data or whatever it may be. But no, migrations are really the perfect place to manage data that is consistent across environments. And, you know, I'm... After doing it for a while, it feels it feels good to me. I'm not saying that there couldn't be a better solution for it. Sometimes it still no. does feel a little icky, um, yeah. but for the most part, it's it's a pretty elegant solution, and that's the second kind of major use case I'd say there are for for migrations. Before you jump to the next one, um, yeah. I love that idea because one of the things that helps you ask the question of is a migration or a seed or something else uh, good for this is does the app function without this data? 
Right. And if the answer is yes, then it's probably seeder data because in the in the production application, it will probably be replaced by real user data. But if the yeah. answer is no, I get to a page where there's a drop down that should show me a list of all of our corporate locations or whatever else. And that page literally doesn't work without this data like that may be an indication. Now, that's not always true. Like there's some things where like you have to have at least one user, but that doesn't mean the users migrated data. Right. right. But a lot of times where it's like underlying structures of the application rely on this data and the data is going to be the same across all installs Mm -hmm. and we might modify it like once in a while but probably not um those are all really good signs that like that that data is more kind of architectural right like if you could even consider storing that data just in a hard-coded array somewhere you know that might be a good spot for migrations is that a good way to think about it for you yeah exactly yeah okay the same thing yep all right cool so i interrupted you um so the next step was factories and seeders kind of what they are for you know an actual programmer who's been programming not a five-year-old yeah, so uh, I think the best way to talk about factories is that, you know, once you have your table set up, um, anytime, you know, once your app in general is set up and that includes your migrations in your database and your table, and, and when you're testing that app, and when I say testing, I don't just mean automated testing, but I mean even just testing that a lot of people do, which is just manual testing, clicking around the app and stuff like that. Uh, you're going to find yourself in a situations where you need data that would typically be created by users. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you're, you know, writing a blog app and you know you post in the database so that you can make sure, you know, this that the blog has the right content or something like that, um, right. you know, you, you you put yourself in a situation where you go, oh, okay, well, how do I get this data into the database? And you could manually create it, right? Like you could just go to the app itself and write your blog and add the content, and it would be there and stuff like that. But you know, then more you realize maybe I need a blog post that's archived or one that's unpublished or one that's written by somebody else. And before you know it, if you're manually creating all these different types of entities or this data, it's just you're in for kind of a world of pain there. Like you're just, yeah. it's just, it's hard. And if you're on a different environment, all of a sudden maybe do that locally and then you're on staging and you don't have all that data and you go, yeah. oh no, this is, this is really bad. So basically what factories are, is a way, are a way to get uh, data, fake data into your database. Mm-hmm. And they kind of sync in terms of Laravel, they sync up basically directly with your Laravel models and they kind of connect one to one there. And mm-hmm. they give you a way to basically on the fly generate fake data for the database. And they work hand in hand with this other PHP uh, package called Faker, which mm-hmm. uh, allows you to fill out the columns in the database. So let's say, again, let's say you have a blog and your blog has a title and has content. And obviously when you fill those things out, you need a, you need a title and you need content and maybe you need topics or something like that. And Faker... Uh, factories yeah. work with Faker to generate that data on the fly. So it'll give you a fake title. It'll give you fake content. Uh, you know, it can give you random numbers. It can give you booleans, whatever that may be. And um, and so that's basically it. And they also have this concept. Uh, they have a lot of different concepts, but factories also have this concept of state. So that if you, you know, have a column in your database that is like, um, you know, is published or is, you know, which is true or false in your database, depending on, you know, if this is a blog app, uh, you could, instead of having to, you know, set that is published column to true or false every single time you use this factory, you could create an unpublished state. And once you use that mm-hmm. state, it would automatically set that column to true or false, depending on what the state was. And that's kind of the idea there. It's just basically the, the high level there is just get fake data into your database that you don't have to do it all yourself manually. And, yeah. and, and in terms of seeders, because I think seeders work kind of hand in hand, obviously, with factories. We talked about this earlier about how seeders are essentially groups of factories. And I think that is the the way that I typically use them, which is just a way to group factories together. Because 
you know, if you're writing an app uh, and you have kind of like a flow going and you know, okay, I have a blog and it needs comments and it needs topics and it needs this mm-hmm. or that. That's not one factory, right? That's like three right. at least. You have your topics. You need your connection between the topics and the blog. You need your, uh, you know, um, comments and all that kind of stuff. You need users who fill out those comments. All of a sudden, you're using like 10 factories out of nowhere. And yeah. um, and so, cedars are basically ways to group similar stories. So, if you have like, okay, I need... Uh, maybe you'll have like an unpublished blog cedar or something like that. And that creates like an unpublished blog that you wrote, an unpublished blog that someone else wrote, an unpublished blog from three yep. years ago, an unpublished, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it may be. It's just kind of going through and grouping your factories together. And I think all these cedars in particular are kind of, um, ah, they're, they're, they're general enough that a lot of people use them in a lot of different ways. But that's typically the way that I use them. It's just think of them as a grouping for factories. I love it. And it's when it's so funny because even for me to say like that even seems remotely transformational is like, well, duh, Matt, of course that's what they are. But it's interesting because sometimes with factories and cedars and migrations, it's the concept is simple, but really knowing when to use it and how and where and which things it solves other than like the core can sometimes take your brain a little bit to wrap around, which is one of the reasons I have you on. And just, just, I didn't mention this, but for anybody who doesn't know, so John has been, uh, he wrote a podcast on, or he wrote an article on the Titan blog that I'll link in the show notes about, um, factories. Um, and he also was on the 20% time podcast, which is the, the Titan podcast, uh, a month ago or something like that. Yeah, about. Um, and talking about this idea of how to use, um, you know, factories and, in an organized way that makes a ton of sense and addresses a really common problem, but in a way that just thinks a little bit freshly about factories. And we maybe will go into that to the end. If in the end, if we had gotten to the point where we really feel like we've kind of like covered everything else, we might kind of go into that. I don't want to go into it yet. Cause I don't know if it'll make sense yet. Sure. Um, but definitely go check those both out. But one of the reasons I brought John on this podcast is cause I think that he has been thinking about alternate ways for us to, um, encounter and approach, these three things, migrations, factories, and cedars, um, in a way that I think a lot of us will benefit from, but not a lot of us have actually taken the time to do. So anyway, if anybody feels like these things are really simple, on the first hand, good. I'm really glad you feel like you got it. On the other hand, these are one of those things where sometimes you're going to go, wait a minute, how should I have done that? Or what should I have used? Or you'll encounter a problem and not realize that these are tools you should use for that problem. So I think that's why it's really great to have John, because he explains and understands these things in a way that gives us more maybe permission and ideas for how to use them in different contexts. So anyway, that's one of many reasons I have John here. Um, one of the other ones is his epic beard and his, you know, his luscious hair uh, <laughs> that you all unfortunately miss out on. But uh, uh, it's just trust me, it's there. Just all visualize right. it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So you know, normally at this point in the the conversation, I ask, when's the last time you used the system? But of course, you know, you you use all of them. But I would say let's let's go really quickly and go through what you just said. Mm-hmm. But I want to I want to take it from a just to kind of give me bullet points. So when you're working with migrations, first of all, what's the most common use case for a migration? Yeah, I mean, the most common use case for a migration is that you have a new table in your database and you yep. need to build it out. And that's just yep, yeah. Yep. And then the second most common is modifying or deleting tables. Modifying, that exist, right? Yeah. Modifying uh, tables or adding data or something like that. That's kind of further down the list, but 90% of the time when you're making a migration, it's because you have a new yeah. model that you want to build or a new entity and you just need a table for it. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Um, with factories, the most common, what's the most common time you use factories? Yeah. So this might be different across people, but for me, the most common time I'm using factories is when I am uh, writing an automated test in something mm-hmm. like PHP unit or you know, whatever framework you may be using and you need there to be data in the database for that test to kind of build its world 
And that's yep. the most common time. I'd also say there's a very, you know, to have a second bullet point here, I'd say the, the other most common thing is like if you are on a server and you just directly need some some data in your database right yeah. now. Maybe it's just like, you know, you you fire up PHP Artisan Tinker, you go in there, you, you make 10 factories or whatever it may be, and you get your yep. data right away without any kind of clicking around the UI. And that's probably, you know, depending on if you're a developer who is more experienced in writing tests or something like that, you're probably going to be more towards the first one. But if you're a developer who's not quite there yet, you're probably going to be using the second one. Yeah. And the third would probably just be in your seeders, right? In your like seeders. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for anyone who's not familiar, um, so Tinker is the command line tool, because I don't think we've done our command line one yet. Mm. Um, it's a command line tool that allows you, it's sort of, if you've ever done Ruby, it's sort of like a REPL. If you haven't, don't worry about it. Um, actually, it is a REPL. Um, it's sort of like whatever Ruby's REPL is called, which I can't remember now. But anyway, you're, you're going into there, and when you type a command, it's a read, evaluate, print loop. So when you type a command and hit enter, um, Tinker evaluates it against your your artisan or against your Laravel application. So if you were to write something like, um, you know, user colon colon all, which would, you know, we, we learned last week or in the d database episode would give me all the users in the entire user table. It would go run that command as if something was doing it and then it would return it back to you. So it's print. And then it would give you a next, the next line that you can work with it. And so one of the things that John mentioned is something I do on almost every single application when I spin it up, which is um, rather than seeding users for yourself, because then you end up with seeders that kind of just have to have like your name and your username and your password for every time you spin up a new version of your app. So instead, when I spin up a new app, the first thing I do is I go PHP Artisan Tinker and then I say basically what you're saying is user equals and then you're making like a factory of the user and then you would just set the properties to be your own or especially if you need things there that you don't need to set anything like let's say like he, he had mentioned maybe you want 10 blog posts in your thing you would just say you know basically use the factory to create a whole 10 blog posts hit enter and then it'll just be in the database there um yeah. so yeah and i wouldn't have even thought of that i'd use that all the time and i wouldn't have put it at the top of my mind but you're absolutely right that's a super common case for that so yeah. when are cedars most commonly used i'd say cedars are most commonly used in for me, well, I can only, I guess I should just answer for myself. For me, yeah. cedars are most commonly used to set up data, um, groups of fake data for an actual like staging site. That yeah. typically just tends to be the time I most use it. So, I mean, for instance, um, you know, we have a product called Field Goal uh, yeah. Titan. And, you know, there's a, you can be a Field Goal user with a free trial or there's four different types of subscriptions. And basically, it's just, you know, your typical SaaS service and you have all these subscriptions. And, you know, for that site, whenever I'm working on it and I'm making changes to it, uh, you know, I want to test like 10 different types of accounts, like a user who's yeah. in their free trial, but the free trial's expired, a user who's still in their free trial period, a user who has a subscription but canceled it and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And doing that over and over again, uh, just, it was it was rough. And so what I did yeah. was on Field Goal, I have a seeder that creates a bunch of fake users with all those different things, yeah. a free trial, expired. For no subscription subscription but it's this plan blah 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 and they all have these very specific emails it'll be like uh you know user with free trial at test.com or something like that exactly right? yeah and, and that and basically whenever i need to test staging uh or whatever i'm testing locally i'll just run that cedar and then i immediately have 10 counts uh, 10 accounts with every different type of user at my disposal and yeah. the great thing about that is if you know the staging site gets blown up, which you know sometimes that happens, right? Like the day someone runs yeah. a command, the database gets wiped. Uh, who knows what happens? Uh, it's not your concern because you just rerun yeah. that cedar, and all of a sudden you have all the data that you ever needed, and you're good to go. Yep, and you can also run that same cedar on your local machine, and then if you your local machine dies, you don't worry about losing the contents of your database, right? Because yeah. you just clone it to the new machine, and then run your cedar, and then boom, it's fully fully populated as well. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's call. a second way that people use Cedars a lot. And there's, you know, there's been a little drama in the Laravel community, you know, <laughs> in the last, yeah. last couple of months, which we can maybe get into later, but if we have time, yeah, but I'd like I to. mean, a lot of people also, I, I think whenever you're looking at like these things, there's always going to be a duality of people who are using it um, kind of like on the fly to get data into an actual app so they can hand test the app. And then yep. there's going to be the second subset of people who are primarily using it to write automated tests. Mm -hmm. And, you know, same thing with factories, right? You can run it in Tinker, you can run it in the test route or something like that, or you can write it in your test. And with Cedars, it's the same thing. You might be running a Cedar on your staging site, and that could be fine, um, mm -hmm. just like I just described. Or a lot of times people are using them to group uh, factories in their tests, in their automated tests. Got so it. that's kind of the second. And, you know, those things can, they're not mutually exclusive. You could create a seeder for your test and then also use it on your actual site if you wanted to. But I'd say if we're talking about the two most common use cases of seeders, to me, it's it's easily those two. All right. And so one of the reasons, and I, I put a note for us to talk about drama later, but I do want to <laughs> note that one of the things, because I you, remember I said that you all are, you know, it's not quite time for us to talk about John's particular approach in his, his blog post and, and stuff like that. But there is a note, which is that um, John's idea that he introduced most publicly, and so this is not the only unique thought he's had, but the one that's most publicly is, is something around organizing your factories. And is or organizing your factories using PHP classes rather than organizing your factories using seeders. And obviously from this podcast, you can hear that he does both in different contexts. And that's you know where some of the drama is. But I did also notice here, which is something I didn't actually know, which is that there's also a Laracast's video where he says... To do this, we'll use a technique that I first learned from John Bonacorsi, blah, blah, blah. So I will make sure I link that one in the show notes as well, because we got to, you know, get the Laracast John Bonacorsi Actually, love as can well. I, can I tell you this real quick? Jeffrey, yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Way, not that I um, know him at all or am in any kind of, you know, interpersonal relationship with him, but yeah. uh, he didn't even tell me that he did that video. Someone, yeah. someone tweeted just at me. snuck it out. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Laracast. I've watched it for 10 years, whatever, how long it's been around, I've been a fan. Yeah. And uh, someone tweeted me once and was like, I watched your Laracast video. And I was like, what? My what? Gonna, I was like, I You're mixing me up with the other guy with the, the rich hair and the, the handsome beard. Yeah, so I was, uh, so Jeffrey, you know, next time hit me it's up funny. if you. It's funny. Je for anyone who doesn't know, Jeffrey is a wonderful human. He's also an, an extraordinary introvert, like one of the most introverted people I've met in my entire life. So that's not actually that abnormal. Uh, uh, that he did it. I'm fine. Yeah, with totally. Yeah, it's yeah. super cool. Yeah, and I'll, I'll link it out to all y'all. So, um, Okay, cool, cool, cool. So let's get back to where we were because I will jump around a million times. Okay, so did I have you talk about Cedars too? Yes, yeah. the, where you normally... Okay, cool, yeah. yeah, so that's where we were. All right, so the next section of this podcast is usually what are some times the system has tripped you up or what are common challenges or what do you wish everyone knew about the system? Now, you can say all of those, but I definitely want to make sure we end on the what do you wish everyone else knew about the system. So let's start with, are there any common gotchas or any common challenges or any places where any of these three systems like kind of trip people up because they're not thinking about it right or they don't understand something or anything like that? Yeah, I totally. I mean, I think anything can trip somebody up and I've definitely been tripped up by all three of them. Right. And we've kind of touched mm -hmm. on some of those trip ups already just indirectly. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of them not to go too far in it cause we've already talked about it, but you know, using migrations as content, uh, managers, yep. right. Like that yep. is a big thing that trips people up. They try to avoid it. They think it's wrong, whatever yeah. it may be. Um, so that's, that's probably one thing with migrations. Another thing with migrations, I think is that people, um, at first maybe don't realize that they're mutable, they're, they're immutable. So, mm -hmm. and that's kind of, you know, if anyone isn't yeah. familiar with what that means, it just basically means that once a migration has run, particularly on your production environment, it cannot be changed or, yep. and there's a caveat there. There's like a yeah. 0.0001% time where that you, you, maybe you get a little weird and you, you do change it. But I'd say yep. this, like 
you know, you really should never be changing migrations that have already been run. And that's because, you know, if anyone's unfamiliar with the migration system in general, basically the way that it works is that, you know, your migrations are just files. They're just PHP classes and, you know, so they're special classes, but they're basically just these classes. And um, when they run against an environment, uh, whether that's staging or your local or production or whatever it may be, when they mm -hmm. run Laravel stores uh, that that migration has been run in your yep. database, in a migrations table. And so the problem, you know, the reason we say migrations are immutable is because once they run that one time, they never run again when you run PHP yep. artisan migrate. And so, you know, sometimes when we've been talking with clients or people who are new to Laravel and they're, you know, they don't, they never had been familiar with this, they'll be like, how do I, you know, I changed the the column in, in a migration that ran three months ago and it didn't, it didn't pop up. And it's like, well, no, if you, yep. you know, if you create a table, like a user's table or a blog's table or whatever it may be, and then three months down the line, you need to add a new, you know, is published column to it. You're not editing that existing migration. You're creating yep. a new migration that says something like, you know, create or add uh, is published uh, column to users or blogs table or whatever it may be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's you know that's definitely a trip up uh, for migrations. I think that um, there's also like, uh, you know, dealing with like foreign keys sometimes or indexes mm -hmm. in migrations can sometimes be tricky just based off the name. I know with like indexes in particular, you can like pass it in two ways and they both mean slightly different. Like if it's an array, yep. it means one thing, and if it's a if it's not an array, it means a different thing. Uh, and I still get tripped up by those things sometimes, to be quite honest with you. So, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's little moments like that. But to me, those things, they get, you know, working with databases in general can be hard. You know, figuring yeah. out what is the right type of content. What is, um, you know, when do I need an index? What kind of index do I need? Do I need a foreign key here? Those aren't yeah. necessarily particular to migrations themselves. That's more just like database, database architecture that everyone yeah, exactly. has. So yeah. I don't know if I'd pin that on migrations, but that's where they'll most likely bubble up for you because that's where you're doing, that's where you're working with those things. Yeah. And it can often be easy to to not notice that. So there was there was a thing I did for like I think we discovered it was a year or two where I chained the creation of an index after the creation of the column. So I just did it fluently, like mm -hmm. you know table arrow whatever, and then right after that I did the arrow for the column, and it didn't error out. And I thought I'd seen it somewhere, and it turns out it was silently not creating those indexes that whole time. Yeah. So the one of the gotchas on migrations is that if you run them with ever act without ever actually going over to look at your um, your database app, um, then you might not notice that things aren't working the way you want. So I definitely would just tell people like, while it's magical that we can create and define our schema and code, it's still worth going over your database app at some yes. point, just making sure that you have what you think you're going to have. And the cool thing about factories are about, um, well, about factories and seizures, but especially migrations is that it's your database is not like a special, you know, pony that you have to like take care of it goes back to the whatever the previous podcast was where we were talking about like cattle versus um you know pets like mm -hmm. your database other than your production database which should be special and wonderful mm -hmm. and everything like that but all your other databases you should be able to just destroy them and spin them back up very quickly right and so like even to the point where if you want to like open up that database app and mess a whole bunch of stuff up or you're not sure if it's in the right state like get comfortable with destroying the entire database and migrating it from scratch all the time. And the more confident you are that you can do it one time, the more flexible you are to kind of like spin up new servers or whatever in the future, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, do you ever modify old migrations? Like ever at all? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, can you give me a couple uh, examples of when you might do that? Uh, yeah, so uh, a couple things I'd say, and this is, so I'll, I'll go with the easiest one first, which is that sometimes I'm just a little neurotic 
and I don't want to add a new <laughs> migration for a column. And I never do this on a client site. I'll say this. This is yeah. like when I'm Wild West, you know, Cowboy John yeah. out in his local Working projects. Yeah, on your own thing. Yeah, yeah whatever it may be. You know, sometimes I want my, my migrations to be like perfectly in sync or in line with uh -huh. my models. Like if I have 10 models, I want there to be 10 migrations. And so I did this recently with my, my <laughs> yep. side project, which is where... I went back and I made all the migrations as if they were perfect. And I knew exactly what everything was when I first did it. And then I went uh -huh. to my migrations Modified table it. and I deleted the old ones. And then I, you know, <laughs> did a bunch of hocus pocus. And that's uh, hilarious. You know, and that's, you know, how necessary you feel that is, is, is yeah. up to you. I, I like it. Um, I would never do it on a client project where it's like a potential yeah. danger. Um, I might do it on like an internal project if I was like had approval and they were like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I that, did, no, I did that on a personal project once where I was the same thing as like I everything was perfect except one thing. Yep. And there wasn't any like super important data and it was all backed up. And I went and I just went into SQL Pro or Tables Plus or whatever and I just modified the column. And then I changed that same modification in the original migration and I felt a little bit dirty <laughs> and a little bit magical at the same time. <laughs> There's something about it. It's like the call of yeah. the void, you know, you just want to do yeah. it. Yeah. Like you said, would never do it on a client project, but you know, just sometimes you do that. So yeah. yeah. If um, I'm responsible, then I'll just, I'll take the risk. Exactly. I'll take the risk. Yeah. So do you ever, have you ever, and would you ever recommend in any context, deleting all the old migrations and then replacing them with like one single migration that creates the database at a certain given state? Let's say that the app's been running for a long time or something. Are there any contexts in which you would recommend that? Yes. I mean, I'm actually doing that right now for a project, oh, yeah. which, okay. uh, which basically is that, you know, this project was, um, it's been around for a long time. And they used migrations originally for a little bit. And then uh, basically what stopped. happened is that they stopped or somebody stopped. Uh, uh -huh. And all of a sudden you had some people using migrations and you had some people hand going into the database and adding columns and adding indexes and stuff like that. And so... Which you, you should not do, by the way, everybody. Not to yeah, shame anybody on that project, but yeah. just in general, do all your database modifications to schema in migrations, period. Yeah, and the point of building up this kind of schematic is that you can reuse it. And if someone's hand making changes and then they forget to do it the same way, it just becomes a dangerous yep. situation. So that is a situation where, you know, there's two ways you can approach that. You can try to fix the, the existing migrations or, right. you know, there's even some tools out there that generate migrations based off of your database. And those yeah. tools are phenomenal and I, I wouldn't even begin to know how to write one myself, but I've yeah. just never had success with them. They're there's always perfect. some, yeah. they're never perfect. There's always some weird collation issue with MySQL yep. or there's some index that didn't get properly named. I just, I've always had a problem. And so basically the reason that you would do what Matt just described, which is delete all of your old migrations and make one migration that just imports a SQL dump essentially, mm -hmm. is that if your production database is so woefully out of sync with what the schematic of the migrations say they are, Mm -hmm. uh, that's when you would just go back and delete them. And that also, you know, involves going into your database and deleting those migration columns in your database. So that's, yep. you know, that's another thing that, you know, you now you're are editing data in the data and production that gets yeah. messy too. It's an unideal situation. There's no elegant way yep. to fix it, but yep. that is the time when I would just kind of go, you know, scorched earth and delete everything. Yeah. 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 And we, we at Titan have done this three or four or five at times, at least probably more that I don't know about where we were able to make it work using that tool. Yeah. Um, there's one main tool, I forget what it's called, but I'll link it in the show notes that generates migrations from your database. But every time it's been a tiny bit imperfect. So if you do use a tool like that, you really have to sit side by side with your newly migrated thing that came out of that tool. And then with the actual production database and ensure that you catch everything. And you'll probably have to tweak that migration file at least a little bit. And sometimes, like John said, it just not it just doesn't work. Um, that is certainly more ideal where you have a single primary migration that represents everything up till then versus a SQL file. Um, but sometimes 
sometimes you end up having a SQL file, but I would note that when he says a SQL dump, he does not mean a data dump. He means a SQL yeah. schema dump. Schema dump. So yeah. if you do end up having to do that, you go into something like Tables Plus or SQL Pro, you hit export SQL dump, and then uncheck with data. So all it'll do is write a single .sql file that describes the entire creation of your SQL database. And then your first migration, instead of migrating everything, will actually just open up that file and run it on your database. And that's migration yeah. one. And then, you know, migration two is your, you know, whatever the next migration you create. And sometimes you got to do it. And again, like, just like John said, like, there are things that we do at times because they're the only things that can be done. That doesn't mean we would recommend doing them unless you have to. And this is on that list for sure. Yeah. And I think, and one thing to note is just that, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but I'm 90% sure that Laravel 8 is going to ship with a way to do that directly. Like I oh, think cool. Taylor, I think Taylor built in a way that you can like do some kind of command and it will take an export of your database schema oh, cool. and create a migration for it. So I, th I'm like I could be making this up, but I'm 90% sure yeah. that that is an actual thing that's happening. If I had known that was potentially coming, I would have pushed this episode out, um, you know, a little while. But oh well. <laughs> um, but if it does come out, I'm going to do my very best to remember to come back and add it to the show notes here. Yeah. So. A, if you come back and then Laravel 8 is released and you don't see it in the show notes, hit me up on Twitter at StopFormat and I'll add it. But B, if Laravel 8 is out, you should be able to go there and preferably hopefully see it in the show notes as well. So yeah. um, awesome. Are there any other gotchas or common challenges people run into? Or is there one or two or three things that you really wish that everybody knew to do or not to do when working with these things? No, I think there are some other challenges and, and things that you... Uh, reasons that you might even edit an old migration. And, and one thing I just want to mention, it, I, it might be hard to talk through, so I'll try to make it as simple as I possibly can, but I do want to note it because, you know, as we're talking a lot about people managing content in their migrations, this could mm -hmm. potentially bite some people pretty badly. Bit me for the first time. It totally caught me off guard very, very recently. And okay. that is that, uh, and again, I'll try to do this as simple as possible, but basically what had happened was um, I had a migration, like let's just say we have a user's table. Um, yeah. So we have a migration that creates a user's table, and then we have a second migration that says like, you know, um, add, you know, something to that user's table, like an admin mm -hmm. user that's always got to be there, right? Yeah. So in that migration, you know, I did something like user create and I put in like an admin email and I put in, uh, you know, whatever it may be and then that was good to go. Right. Um, and that, that was perfectly fine. Uh, then what happened was many months later, you know, and, and many migrations later, I had another, mig uh, I basically needed to make users soft delete. And if anyone okay. is unfamiliar with soft deletion in Laravel, which you may be, it's basically that, you know, typically if you delete something from the database, it's gone. It's gone from the database. And what mm -hmm. soft deletes essentially allow you to do is they add a deleted at column to whatever yep. database it is. So in this case, if you're at a user's table, you would have a deleted at column, which is a timestamp on the user's table. And when you delete, you know, quote unquote, delete the user via like eloquent with user delete or whatever, um, it wouldn't actually go away from the database. It would just set that timestamp to false. And so yeah. or it would give it a timestamp and it would say, okay, this thing is now deleted. Yeah. Uh, so basically I, I added a... I added a migration to add the soft delete column to the users table and also add the trait, which you need on the model for the users table and good to go. And everything, you know, worked just fine. Then later, when I went to rerun all those migrations again, for some reason, either setting up a staging site or doing something locally, yeah. when I run to rerun them, that original migration I had made that created mm -hmm. the admin user failed. And really? the reason, yeah. And the reason why it failed was because the user, the user model, which is the class I was referencing you know, in that first migration, uh -huh. now had the soft deletes trade on it. Yep. And so because of that, it's expecting also to have this deleted at column, which yep. at the time of that first migration did not exist. Yep. So now Laravel is trying to load up the user model and saying, oh, the user also has the soft deletes. It also has this column, but actually right. it didn't yet at this point in time in yeah. the migration timeline. 
And so, so did you just change the time of the migration so it ran after the soft deletes migration? And uh, that'd be one way to do it. Basically, what mm -hmm. I really did was that I went in and I used DB table users instead to create the. Uh, oh, okay. Is, I went back and edited that original migration that created the admin user, Perfect. and I yeah. changed it. So instead of using the models to user create, I did DB table mm -hmm. users create, which is like a more um, kind of raw way of doing uh, queries in Eloquent. You used the the, que the query builder instead of uh, the, the instead of Eloquent. So yeah, which, I mean, because, the query builder yeah. is just just basically straight SQL queries that you're building with a kind of convenient syntax, right? So it doesn't know about soft deletes or anything. Exactly. The differentiator there is too is that yeah. Laravel's not loading the model. So mm -hmm. it's interacting directly with the user's table um, in that case. Mm -hmm. And so there was no, didn't matter if that soft delete straight or not. And so yep. that was one moment again where I had to go back and edit an existing migration. And I just thought like, oh man, mm -hmm. this is, this will totally impact the way that I write uh, migrations moving forward because that is a very real yeah. scenario that could happen. Um, hmm. But no, I, other than that kind of stuff, I, I don't think there's anything really that I wished uh, that people knew. Um, you know, there's this whole like, migration uh conversation about do you have a down method or do you not have a down method and you know that and for anyone listening that just means like you know migrations have like an up function which builds up the database and theoretically have a down that deletes the table that you're migrating or whatever it may be and you know some people are give me some fire john what, what do you that? do you write down method? do you write them or no do you write a down I method or no I do write them, uh, okay. mostly just for consistency's sake. Um, uh -huh. But I don't. But to be honest, I probably don't need to. Um, yeah. Just because I do it because I've always done it, basically. But sure. in reality, most people when they're dealing with migrations, if they need to rerun them or something, they just delete the entire. Right. You know, Database. they do a migrate fresh. And I was gonna say, when them. when is the last time that you ran artisan migrate rollback? Because uh, that's the only time it's going to be used, right? Is rollback? Yeah, that's the only time yeah. when it would really be used. Would be a, yeah, the rollback method and. I feel like the only times I've had to do it is when I'm in unideal situations with like data from someone else's database that I'm working with locally mm -hmm. and I don't want, you know, I don't want to go too far back or I don't want to have to reimport the database. You know, Got it's it. mostly uh -huh. like I'm in a situation that's a little, little sticky, yep. uh, you know, but in an ideal world where you have cedars and you have everything perfect, yep. then you have no need for it in reality. Yeah. And one of the, the, the reasons that people most commonly pitch the idea of a down method is let's say you did a, a deploy to production on some massive website and it breaks everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of people say what you do is you'd roll your code back one commit, you know, using Git or Envoy or whatever. And then you'd also then run PHPRs and migrate rollback. So you'd roll your database back one commit. So in theory, that works. Although yeah. a lot of people that have talked about that, that circumstance since have said, what I'd rather do in that circumstance is write a new migration that, you know, brings it back to the original state. I don't know if I like that idea only because if you're rolling your code back and then you're you're adding a new migration forward, you're going to get into some very complicated code statuses because that new migration, you know. So, like, mm -hmm. if you migrated your code, your database in that code to a state that wouldn't work with the rolled back code, you got to roll back your database too. And I do think that that is the most compelling reason that if that's a workflow that you'd consider, it's the most compelling reason to consider writing those down methods. That said, I can't tell you the last time I actually used it. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, like if that type of stuff happens, uh, I have found that rollbacks almost always break something else like rollbacks in the code and stuff like that. And I tend to instead take the whole site down uh, do a fix locally and then push the fix up, in which case you don't need to roll back the database because you're just fixing whatever that minor bug is. But there's some environments where that's not possible. You know, the more, the bigger, the more enterprise, the more process there is, the more likely it is you're going to want a down method. The more you're a single person working a project or smaller teams or more agile teams or whatever else, the more likely you're going to be at least open to not using the down method. You know, whether or not you do is up to you. So, 
Yeah, and I also think that sometimes people forget to test their down methods locally. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Which, that's true. Uh, and then you you know you run them when you need them all of a sudden, and all of a sudden it goes like actually you're you're oh, there's a syntax exists, error. Yeah. And, it's, and you go oh my god, what was the point of even? Uh, that's yeah. true. So it's just yeah, I, I've definitely and I've done that myself. I've forgotten to test my yeah. my down migration. So yeah, and also I mean I'm just afraid sometimes to run PHP artisan migrate rollback because I yeah sometimes can't remember which one does which. I'm like what there's refresh, yeah. there's uh whatever rollback, then there's like there's, there's the other one fresh, and I'm like fresh what? yeah which one does which and, I, and then I get scared and I just do a new migration or something. <laughs> so, so every single time I'm working on my local database and I need to throw it away and from start from scratch, um, I've got a certain command that I run. Before I tell it, I want to know what is your command that you run when you need to just kind of like wipe your database, start from scratch. Yeah, it's a, I have an alias. It's like PHP artisan MF or something like that, which is migrate fresh, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. Okay. And then, oh, I think it's even maybe... PHP artisan MFS, which is like migrate yeah, fresh and then see. Fresh, yeah, so I think that's the yeah. one I'll typically do. Yeah. yeah. I actually have, I I didn't, so you did a, uh, a artisan alias to uh, do that? Yeah, I guess or it's Or is yours like just a, MFS? Uh, I think it's just, no, no, it's like a, or yeah, it's probably, yeah, I think it's just like MFS, which is like then okay, does yeah. in the background a all bash those shortcut. commands. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I have the same thing. I, yeah, but it's, it's the cool thing is even if you don't do the bash shortcut that we're talking about, you can type PHP space artisan space migrate colon fresh space. Is it dash dash seed or seed? Forget which. We'll, I'll put it in the I show notes too. Yeah, I think it's dash dash seed. <laughs> Once you get those shortcuts, you don't remember. But that, that command all in one, um, it doesn't work because the, the old one, which was, I think, refresh, migrate refresh, would try to yeah. run all your down methods. And then if any of your down methods are broken, you don't actually have the an easy way to do this. So what you do is instead is you just run migrate colon fresh. And that just says delete all the tables in this database and then migrate them fresh. And then if you do dash dash seed or seed or whichever it is, I think it's dash dash seed, then you yeah. also get the fresh seeded version of all your seeders. And that's one of the most useful things about having good migrations and good seeders is anytime my data gets in a bad shape or I want a fresh install or whatever, I just do MFS or, you know, it what expands to PHBRs and migrate fresh seed. And then all of a sudden I've got a perfectly functional, probably what, 10 seconds later, five seconds later, I've got yeah. a brand new fresh install to work with. And it's pretty freaking fantastic. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All yeah, right. Great. Um, so let's talk about some of the miscellany that I, um, the miscellany that I took notes about earlier. So the first mm -hmm. one was, um, when do you know that it's time to move from keeping a particular, uh, like consistent set of data in the code to like, and by consistent set of data, I meant that that stuff we were talking about earlier, where we're talking about data that it kind of, you need it for the app to run. It's not user data. You know, maybe it's a list of all your tags or a list of all your labels or whatever else it ends up being. When do you know that it's time to move that data from code, just being an array in a class somewhere to mm -hmm. the database? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, and I think I probably tend to be more aggressive than most people in putting things in the database when they could maybe go in a config file. But I'd say that anytime it gets relational. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you have like a list of states in a config file, uh, you know, yep. it's, you're going to have, you know, 50 of those and then that's fine. But all of a sudden, if you need to store, you know, which states that the user lives in or something like that or, or has been to or something like that, all of a sudden now you, yeah. you know, having those states in a configuration file, you can't link the user to the state because the state has no idea. It has no concept. And of course, there are ways you could do that where you could store like the the name of the state completely instead of an mm -hmm. ID or something like that. But when you get to the point where you need to maybe query against this data, that's yeah. my first kind of like, oh, this should probably be stored directly yep. to the database. Yeah. Same here. And um, if this is a little bit of 201 kind of advanced stuff, but 
um, Caleb Porzio um, mm. released a tool called Sushi. And what Sushi does is it allows you to have an eloquent record or an eloquent uh, model that's backed not by a database entry, but it's instead. So in theory, it's backed by just some like an array you have in your PHP. In reality, you write out that array and then Sushi actually creates a little mini SQLite database, which is basically like a really super performant database in a file on your, your device. And then it saves it in there. And so the benefit of Sushi is that you both can store the data that you're migrating in code, but you can also get relationships-ish. Um, um, I don't know if there's any constraints in the relationships because you're storing that data not in the same database. Um, but I, I think it does some work to like basically, like if you say I've got sushi ID, ID number five and that's Oregon and you say, you know, Oregon arrow cities, I think sushi takes the responsibility of figuring out what ID Oregon is and then, you know, you know, looking for all the city, the cities with that. So it's still not the same. Cause for example, you can't do a foreign key, you know, that a yeah. correctly constrained MySQL foreign key to a SQLite database. Right. Yeah. So like, even if it does work the way I'm thinking right now, it's still limited. Um, so John's solution right now is absolutely the best. I think the one downside is the it's the most robust, but it's also maybe the most work. So I might start with keeping something in array or a config file. I might move into sushi and then I might move from there into actually using a cedar like you're talking about that. Yeah. Um, but I do uh, one of the downsides. I'm just, I feel like I've run into a circumstance where when the list of data that I wanted to seed that way changed, like, let's say they said there's only five tags ever. We don't want users to be able to add their tags. And later they're like, actually, there's only six tags ever. Um, and one of the tags is like earlier in the list. Yeah. Then all of a sudden your relationships could all break. And so you have to decide how am I going to handle adding that sixth tag in such a way that it doesn't break the fact that all these things are related to tag number two. So I can't change which tag is tag number two. Right. Um, but even in that circumstance, the answer for me at least has been, and I'm curious your experience has been, well, add tag number six and don't sort them by ID, <laughs> sort them alphabetically or something like that. So it doesn't matter what order they're in. Is that kind of your thinking as well? Yeah, yeah, totally. Nothing should ever be in my mind that dependent on the ID Agreed. being a certain ID. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd say sorting them by the name alphabetically, or we've been in situations where they need a particular order and you create an order column, which is an integer exactly. and you order by that. And that's not a big yep. deal at all. Totally. And if you're a little daunted by the idea of having to maintain like an order column, because what happens if I need to reorder them and then now do I have right. to change all of them? Well, it is possible, but usually if you do have to change that type of thing, it's going to happen once on a mm -hmm. small set and you just got to deal with it. Um, if it's, it's happening once on a complicated set, you could write a one-off PHP script that modifies all them and, and bumps all the ones over integer, you know, ID two, it bumps them all up by one. You know, or not not ID to, but sort to. Um, but if you're actually dealing with it in the front end, there's a ton of JavaScript and PHP libraries that make it super easy to just say move sort item number four right below sort item number two. And these libraries, whether it's a jQuery library, a view library, or a PHP library, take the responsibility of incrementing that sort number because this is just such a common problem. Yeah. So I do think that like the number one criticism of the idea of putting core data in via a seeder is solved by not sorting by ID. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Yep, I love it. Um, and, and for anybody for whom that was really hairy, sorry, but we're trying to get in a little bit of this miscellaneous. So, okay, so the next one is, you said in the last couple of months there's been some drama in the Laravel community around Cedars and stuff. What's the drama? Is it a good time to talk about it or no? Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, it's not it's not that big of a deal, but okay. I, I remember basically what this, and this kind of goes back to my post about uh, model factories and, and how you can kind of improve them and stuff like that. But 
you know, there was there was a point where a lot of people, I think, online were pushing for something like that. And the response from some people higher up in Laravel, including Taylor at the time, I remember he made a, a tweet about it, was like, I never really use, um, you know, factories. Like he almost was saying, like, I don't feel the need for factories what? to be in. I missed all this. Oh, you you didn't goodness. see that? No. Uh, or, or was it was it the one where you um that 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 uh, issue set open forever? No, that was yeah. So no, that was I saw different. that one. Yeah, oh, no, that I didn't was, see this at all. Yeah. Wow. So Taylor at some point had been like, and he wasn't having a conversation with me, but he had kind of tweeted like, does anyone use like you know this. I feel like you don't really need better factories because, you know, I use this group things with Cedars and then I run, I have my tests run, you know, run Cedars, Cedars. and stuff oh, like that. And I feel like I must have been out of commission at this point. Like it's vaguely familiar. And Man, I, I use factories every day. Yeah. And I mean, the argument, of course, is not like that you don't use factories because obviously even your Cedars typically do use factories. So even if you're right. not, and that was kind of, you the don't need them to be better. Yeah. 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 His argument was like, do I need them to be more, to be better or you know, if they're all getting shoved in a cedar anyway, that's named well, like who, who cares? And I thought that like there was, when I read that tweet, you know, I'm a big factory guy. So when I read that, I yeah. was like, there was going to be massive backlash against this. You're like, I'm stabbed in the heart. Yeah. And I just thought like, everyone's <laughs> going to like jump on this guy and it's going to be, they're going to be upset about it. And, um, actually it ended up being way more like 50, 50 than I thought it would be. Okay. Um, Interesting. People, a lot of people were like, yeah, of course I just throw everything in a cedar and call that cedar for my test. And then, um, you know, a lot of people were like, no, no, of course you need better factories and stuff like this. So it was like a whole big uh, mess. And I really thought that it was like the death of of better factories even being a uh -huh. potential thing in Laravel. Um, and uh, luckily, on again, to go a little bit towards Laravel 8, Laravel 8 is shipping with, with improved factories that are similar to the concept I wrote about in my, my blog that kind of triggered Man, this. Why so, did I? I really should have recorded this one after Laravel 8. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I just didn't even know this was all coming. This is awesome. Yeah, and a lot of it actually is the teller's actually been talking a lot about this stuff. So people probably do know about it, even if Laravel 8's not out by the time that this is, well, obviously not when it records, but when it goes out. But um, yeah, so it ended up being that I think he kind of came around and I, I had a chance to, to talk with him a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago and... I kind of asked, like, hey, I remember seeing that tweet and it seemed like you were very anti the idea and now you're, you know, you're coming back around to it. And he was like, kind of what I just said was like, he realized that, well, factories and cedars are not mutually exclusive. Like, uh -huh. if factories are better, it makes cedars better. Yeah. And so uh -huh. there's really no excuse not to improve factories. And so that yeah. was kind of, but it was some pretty, there was some people, people were getting pretty amped right. up about it for a while. A little was, spicy. I like yeah, that. it was a little spicy. <laughs> I mean, and I, I like the feist and the spice about how to do things well and to help how to, you know, like improve things versus like judging people for like not programming the way you program or whatever oh, yeah. other stupid spice can happen sometimes. Cool. Yeah. All right. As always, I just looked at the time and realized <laughs> we've been talking forever and I could keep talking forever. So, OK, uh, getting towards the end, is there anything else about migrations, factories and cedars you'd like to talk about? After this, I do want to really quickly go over your idea of class based factories. So other than that, is there anything else you'd really like to talk about on this topic? Uh, I don't think so. Not that it directly relates is unrelated to what you're referring to. So I think that'd be yeah, I think we can get into that. Okay. So yeah, so essentially, um, I'm going to rely on people listening to the probably 30 minute long 20% uh, time podcast with you and reading your article, which I'll link in the show notes, which is titled tidying up your something with class, tidying up your test. With class? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So check that out and I'll link them in the show notes too. But can you give us like the short version of your idea there? Yeah. So basically if you've ever used Laravel factories, they're really great, but they feel, and I think in the, in the other podcast, I said they feel like a hammer and when you really maybe want to drill and mm -hmm. meaning that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're really great, but they're very, very simple. And when you get to the point where you're making a lot of 
when you're using factories a lot and you're dealing with data that is like deeply relational and every time you need to create a user, you also need to create blog posts for that user and you also need to create comments for the blog posts. Basically, when you're using factories like that with like very related data, um, you can end up having like a setup that's like 50 lines long or something crazy, right? Yeah. It's like, mm -hmm. it's really wild. So basically, and that's, and the only reason that happens is because factories are kind of by their original design, just a little, little dumb, like in not a bad way, but they're just very yeah. simple. You know, they're just like, yeah. they get data into the database. They're basically the most complex thing they really do is like states. And, and that's kind yeah. of it. Um, yeah. which to me was very like antithetical to the Laravel like way of doing things, which is that everything is so polished and so easy and so fluent. And if you're writing a query with eloquent, you can probably guess without even knowing what exists that like, you can write a query yeah. with just guessing method names. And to me, that is like the experience of being a Laravel developer and factories were like the one place where to me, and I can put up with like a lot of stuff. I don't even, sometimes optimizations get released for Laravel and I go, well, I didn't even think about that. Like that didn't even bother me, but yeah. factories really bothered me for a long time yeah huh. and so um you know i was talking with a couple other people from titan at you know one of our on-sites and we got into this big long discussion about uh you know factories and how we can improve them and basically you know kind of the the end of that i kind of just realized like well why not just create a simple class like a basic php class nothing you know out of just normal php class that returned the factory so for instance, if you would normally do like factory user create and then pass in an array of data for that user with like a name and an email or whatever it may be, what if instead of that, you had a user factory class with a create method and you pass the array to that method and then mm -hmm. that method passed it directly to the factory. And if you're listening to this, you might think like, well, who cares? Like that's just a direct, like you're just abstracting away the factory create method. But in reality, what's actually happening there is that you're unlocking the power of object-oriented programming. Once mm -hmm. you're inside of a class, you have the ability to make fluent methods and you can change, you know, chainable methods or write methods that are whatever you want. And so the simplest way that I can kind of outline this idea and the topic of the blog post is that what I call class-based model factories are really just simple classes that return factories. And then you can add whatever methods you want to them. So in our other example of like, if you need a user with blog posts and comments for those blog posts, instead of saying, you know, user factory create and then you know, blog create, and then you pass mm -hmm. the user ID to the blog, and then you create the comments, and then you pass the comments to the blog, and then all of a sudden you're like 10 lines deep. Um, <laughs> instead of that, what you do is you just say, you know, user factory uh, with blog posts, you know, three, you know, with comments, 10, and yeah. create, and all of a sudden you're like 10 line monstrosity has become a one line readable super expressive piece of code yeah. that's, that reads like a book, right? And like, mm -hmm. that to yeah. me was much more in line with what the rest of Laravel felt like. Yeah. And when I when I first heard about the idea of class-based factories, uh, model factories, I assumed it was going to be more like repositories, which were very popular in Laravel and thankfully aren't anymore, where people would just write these, like you'd have, uh, you know, one method that would be something like colon, colon, you know, with three users and five whatevers. And yeah. then there'd be a message right after it, there'd be like with five user whatever. <laughs> so this idea of like being a fluent chain where you can add and modify, it feels so much more Laravel-y and it feels so expressive. I love the idea that I can write those sentences but I can write them by chaining, by fluent chaining, not yeah. write them by like massive method names. Right. And if I don't need comments, I just leave off the method, the comment, you know, method or whatever, and then I'm good to go. I love how it reads yeah. and I love how it simplifies things too. So. Yeah, they're pretty, yeah, to me, they've been very powerful. They've kind of changed the game for factories mm -hmm. for me. So I've, I've enjoyed working with them. Total side note, but yesterday I wrote a test that had 
I think like 12 lines of um, mocking setup code. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like totally disconnected from this thinking like, can I build class-based mocking? Factory? Mocking. <laughs> yeah, like could I do that? I'm now, I'm now actually super curious. I, I think I might have to look at it after this. Yeah, like yeah. you totally could. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So um, what are some good ways for people to learn about this? So I'm going to link to your interview in 20% time. I'm going to link to your um, Laircast, the Laircast talking about your way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to link to your um, podcast a blog post. So those are all about uh, the specific context of class-based model factories. But what about in general? How do you learn about migrations, factories, and seeders? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I think that um, luckily the Laravel documentation itself is unlike most yep. other frameworks or tools in general, that it has phenomenal documentation. So I'd say if you want to yep. learn about them, definitely read, obviously, the Laravel documentation. Of course, there's Laracast, which has a video for Laravel up and running for almost any, you know, just from scratch or Laravel 6 and 7 and whatever it may be. Um, yeah. There's, of course, this, this great book that a phenomenal <laughs> man wrote named Laravel Up and Running, which uh, just a really great guy. And uh, that has everything you would ever dream of needing. So just forget everything else I said and just read that book. And um, and I'd say those are your three those are your three core ones there. And you know anything else is just like read read some other open source projects. Luckily, I think the the beautiful thing about this everything that we talked about today, even my concept of class based model factories, which maybe sounds scary because it's like you know four words or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, they're all simple. They're all simple concepts. Yeah. And you know yeah. there's going to be a there's always going to be a learning curve for anything that you're learning if you're new to it, but they are going to be things that you're doing every day in any project, and um, it won't take you long to get a grasp on them. So, yeah, you know, books, Laravel, up and running, Laracast, documentation, you're, you're set to go. I love it. Um, all right, so the last thing I do on each of these before plugs and how people can follow you is the fun moment, which, as you're aware, you have no idea what it is when it's coming. So yeah. at Titan, um, we often will respond to things that you say with a little emoji mm-hmm. that is the TV Guide logo. So... Um, I'm not going to say too much more from there, but I do want to ask you as someone who knows a lot about TV, um, what do you think the best TV show of all time is? Yeah. My favorite TV show of all, this is easy for me. Uh, Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Avatar The Last Airbender is my favorite TV show of all time. Okay. And I think you're getting into it. You're watching it right now, if I remember correctly. Yeah. My son, my son and I are almost through the first season and it's freaking fantastic. I love it. Yeah. 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 Am I allowed to yeah, talk my about dog your is name? named oh yeah, my dog yeah. is named Oppo, which is after the character <laughs> yeah. in the show. And yeah. uh yeah, it's kind of, you know, the you know, you might look at it and look at clips of it, you might think it's a kid show and it was designed, yeah. you know, kind of for a younger age and I was like, It's accessible for watching. kids. Oh yeah, it's yeah, it's great for them and it's also has really deep storylines for adults and I just I love yeah. it and I still yeah. love it. To, I just rewatched it, so it's great. Yeah, literally every single time his sister is asleep because it's a little too scary for her. He's like, yeah. he'll he'll come like if if like let's say all three of us you know like fell asleep for a nap at the same time or something like that. If he wakes up early, he'll come poke me and wake me up and be like, let's go watch Avatar. And I'm like, okay, because I, I love it too. So yeah, I do the it same is. thing with my wife. I just like yeah. <laughs> come on, let's go watch, let's Avatar. Go watch Avatar. She's like, just watch it by herself. <laughs> I love that. it. Yeah, that is fantastic. Um, I yeah, I thought see, I thought as someone who like. Had, you know, has a lot of opinions and thoughts about TV that you would be like, oh, this is so hard. There's so many good shows. Wow, that was a, that was such a fantastically quick response. All right, cool. Yeah. Avatar last, and it's on Netflix for anybody who's curious. So it's on Netflix, and they're even making a live action version. So yeah, so a live action TV version, though, right? TV version. Yeah, they already made a yeah, terrible. Movie, they made but, yeah. they made a movie that everyone says don't even watch. So don't watch it. Yeah, I yeah. saw the thing about the a live action TV version. I hope it's really good. Um, that's gonna be exciting. Um, okay. So last thing, how can people follow you? Where are you on Twitter? What other mediums? Uh, what's your side project? All that kind of stuff. Oh gosh. 
Uh, I uh, I have about four hundred fol- followers on Twitter, and I can't uh, handle one more. So don't don't follow me <laughs> anywhere. That's, I've maxed okay. out. It's too okay, much. There you uh, go. Too much responsibility for me. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, follow follow Titan Co. Uh, you know, on Twitter, that's where you'll find anything that is actually relevant or interesting that I do anyway. It'll most likely be retweeted. Uh, follow the Got Titan it. blog. Um, you know, that's where I'll write anything that's actually worth reading. So those are the those are the core things. If you if you are by an odd chance a fan of the TV show Big Brother, which I know most people here have probably never ever heard of. Um, I don't think so. I think most people have heard of it, right? If you've heard of it, or maybe you've, maybe you heard about it 20 years ago and you've forgotten about it, but I that watch it, and possible. I have a side project called FantasyBB.com, where it's like fantasy football for Big Brother, and yeah, it's like I love it's, it. the, it's the one thing that I will plug. So if you're a fan of the show, check out that. Um, it's free, that's, right? That's yeah. yeah, yeah, it's free. Yeah, I make yeah. it just costs me money. It's not free to me. It, but. Yeah, right. I, I kind <laughs> of wish that I watched Big Brother because the idea of playing fantasy because it's it's the idea of like with the um. That survivor thing, right? Where people get voted yeah. off or something like that. I yeah, feel it's like survivor, but in a house. Yeah. I feel like you should. No, I don't think you should. I would love to do that for like every show I ever watched that was like that, where people get voted off. I feel like there should be like you should make a like a um like a subdomain for each one, like Big Brother dot whatever you know, yeah. fantasy reality TV shows dot com or something like that. Of course, you you have enough work on your plate right now, but I like <laughs> I wish I watched Big Brother because that sounds like so much fun, especially if like you and your friends watch it like across the country every yeah. week or something like that. That's so cool. Yeah. All right, John Bonacorsi, you are wonderful. I so much appreciate your time. Um, thank you so much for teaching us and sharing with us and just being a good guy. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm a, I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller here, so this has been great. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, thank you all, and we'll see you all next time. See you guys.